0: Today we wrap up our resilient series. We've been in this for the last few months, and uh, we said, "Hey, in 2020, we, we took a shot, right? I mean, it was a, a difficult shot. It was a, a crazy year with school. It was a crazy year for mental health and marriages and all kinds of things. And we've we've really tried to focus on that. And in 2021, with our Maymester and and also with this resilient." series, because here's the deal. We said, hey, we, we might be pressed, but we're not crushed. We, we might be persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We might be perplexed, but we're not in despair. We might be struck down, but we're not destroyed. We are going to be resilient. We are going to come back to the form that we're supposed to take as the body, and, and we're, we're, we're going to be stretched but we are going to endure difficulty and through this series we've we've looked at some heroic men and women who have displayed great resilience in their different settings and today we wrap it up with this this uh, lady named Ruth. We've been talking about her th- this week and last week. And, and I just want to set the stage. You got my my readers back because the-, the book's only four chapters long. And I didn't want to paraphrase it. I wanted you to hear from it. So last week, we read chapters one and two. And this week, we're going to read chapters three and four. To make sure we're all on the same page, we had a-, a family, Naomi and Elimelech, and their two sons, Malon and Kilion, who moved to Moab because there was a famine. When they got there, the boys married Moabite ladies, one married Ruth, the other married Orpa. and after 10 years, there was devastation and suffering and affliction that happened in this family. We see that Naomi lost her husband, and she lost her two sons, and in that, there was great suffering, which meant Ruth, kind of the, the namesake of our story, she lost her husband. And they were there for 10 years and unable to have children. And so to compound matters, not only were these ladies suffering the loss of their husbands, they're also suffering from the fact that they're unable to see the lineage of their husband's name move forward, which may not mean a whole lot to us, but we're going to talk more about that here in just a second. We see that Ruth is incredibly resilient. She's gonna go with her mother-in-law, Naomi, to Israel, a foreign place, a foreign God, a foreign culture, a foreign everything, and she's gonna gonna stick with her. Orpah, the other sister-in-law, says, you know what, I'm going back to Moab where I know everything. I, I know it's comfortable, I'm gonna make that happen. When they get there, they know they're gonna need outside help because these two ladies, Naomi and Ruth, are incredibly vulnerable And when I say vulnerable, I mean, they could be taken advantage of. They could be ridiculed. Matter of fact, uh, the man who takes notice of them in chapter two, his name is Boaz. He says, don't humiliate Ruth. Don't don't give her a hard time. Like clearly because she is a widow, because she, for all intents and purposes, is also uh, an orphan. She left father and mother. She is poor and she's also a resident alien. All four of those make her incredibly vulnerable. One would be vulnerable enough. All four is, I mean, you know, it's just hard for us to even imagine just how vulnerable she would be. So they're going to need help. They're going to need someone to take care of them. They're going to need somebody to provide for them. And we meet a guy named Boaz, And Boaz shows up on the scene, and he's going to provide for Ruth and Naomi's poverty by making sure that when they get in the field, when they're collecting the, the barley, that they can collect a little bit. But also, Boaz tells his harvesters, drop some on the ground. Intentionally, give her a little bit. But that just takes care of the poverty. It really doesn't address the fact that Ruth's still a widow, and she's still childless, and she's still an orphan, and she's still a a resident alien from an enemy country. So, how is all of that going to be taken care of? And that's where we get to Ruth chapter 3. Now, I just want to warn you before we read this, it, it's a little awkward. It's a little awkward for us. I, I want you to imagine, if you will, like most of us who, if you had a, some sort of dating relationship or courting relationship, I'm sure there were some times you put your foot in your mouth up front, right? Like most of us guys probably did. I was sitting at a dinner the other night with three other couples, and we got on the subject, how did you meet your spouse, and how did that go? And all of the guys, as we go around the table, are telling stories, and we are all like the opposite of Don Juan on this deal, right? I mean, clearly there are some issues that that we have. One of them, I'm not going to name any names, not going to name any names, one of the guys, he sees that this uh, this lady is beautiful and she is godly and he's like man I want to I want to date her I want to marry her and so he says this is the only way I can spend time with her she teaches piano so he says you know what I'm going to take piano lessons from this this lady and hopefully spend some time with her it's a little cheesy a little corny and sure enough after he you know, lands a date or two, he decides piano lessons are done, right? He's gotten his goal, no need to take piano lessons anymore. The le- the, the, all these stories came out, like the just the weirdness of what we do as, as, as guys. Now, this one in Ruth chapter three is coming from Ruth to Boaz. So a little different, a little awkward for us, but I want you to listen to the story and we'll pick it up. Take it away.
1: Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, shouldn't I find security for you so that you will be taken care of? Now, isn't Boaz our relative? Haven't you been working with his female servants? This evening, he will be winnowing the barley on the threshing floor. Wash and put on perfumed oil and wear your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor But don't let the man know that you are there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, notice the place where he is laying. Go in and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will explain to you what you should do. I will do everything you say. She went down to the threshing
2: floor and did everything her mother-in-law had instructed her. After Boaz ate, drank, and was in good spirits... He went to lie down at the end of the pile of barley. Then she went in secretly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. At midnight, Boaz was startled, turned over, and there, lying at his feet, was a woman.
3: Who are you?
2: I am Ruth, your slave. Spread your cloak over me, for you are a family redeemer.
3: May the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have shown more kindness now than before, because you have not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor. Now don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do for you whatever you say, since all, my people, all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Yes, it is true that I am a family redeemer, but there is a redeemer closer than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you. But if he doesn't want to redeem you, as the Lord lives, I will. Now lie down until morning.
2: So she lay down at his feet until morning
3: but got up while it was still dark. Then Boaz said, Don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. Bring the shawl you are wearing and hold it out.
2: When she held it out, he shoveled six measures of barley into her shawl, and then she went into town. She went to her mother-in-law, Naomi, who asked her, How did it go, daughter? Then Ruth told her everything the man had done for her. She said, he gave me these six measures of barley because he said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed.
1: My daughter, wait until you find out how things go, for he won't rest until he resolves this today.
0: You see a marriage proposal. It may not seem like that to you, but this is a marriage repo- proposal, and it's a little awkward, isn't it? I mean, we're looking at this, and and just to make sure we're all on the same page, Boaz has taken a liking, and he has noticed Ruth. And so Naomi says, you know what? Let's make the most of this. Let's strike while the iron is hot, and let's make a move. Now, this is a bold move. I'm gonna say it's a risky move. It's risky in that at any point, Boaz could completely flip the tables. He could flip the tables, and this is how he could do it. He could throw her under the bus. It's in the middle of the night. It's a little awkward. He's trying to save face, like, get out of here before anyone sees you. If he wants to, he could make this into a really bad situation for Ruth. He could do it, but he decides not to do that. And so what we have here is, is Ruth asking for marriage. Now, I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page on this. You've heard it, the reading say family redeemer or kinsman redeemer. What we have is that this proposal is not about companionship. This isn't about, hey, we looked at profiles, and you like nice long walks on the beach, and I like nice long walks on the beach, and we're going to get together, and you know, that's not what this is. This is radically different. This is about more than companionship. Matter of fact, I wanna show it to you. It's gonna be on the screen in Deuteronomy 25. Naomi knows there's a law in Israel that provides for her husband's name, her dead husband's name, and her deceased son's name. Listen to this in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse five and six. When brothers live on the same property, and one of them dies without a son, the wife of the dead man may not marry a stranger outside of the family. Her brother-in-law is to take her as his wife, have sexual relations with her, and perform the duty of brother-in-law, kinsman-redeemer, leveret marriage. Six, the first son she bears will carry on the name of the dead brother so his name will not be blotted out From Israel. There's a lot more to read there. I'm just going to stop at those two. This is one of those days, one of those things where back in the day, you'd want to really make sure you know and like your in-laws, right? This is what we got. So just to make sure, um, if you, if I have a brother and my brother dies and his wife doesn't have children, specifically a son to carry on the name then I would marry my sister-in-law, provide a son so that his name would go on. Now, for many of us, we're like, man, that's, that's out there. That's crazy. Listen, this is actually pre-law. This happens in Genesis 38. This means it was so ingrained in the culture that it is codified as law in Deuteronomy 25. This is part of the culture in Genesis. This is part of what they do. This is to say, we've got to let this name go on. We do not want the name to die out. We don't want this person's lineage and inheritance. We don't want Elimelech to be forgotten. We don't want Mylon to be forgotten. We need to make sure the name goes on. And as I read on in Deuteronomy 25, you would see that it's also to provide and to protect the widow. And so when Ruth goes to the threshing floor in the middle of the night, all dressed up and waiting for Boaz, who's had probably some some drinks and to take a nap. She is asking, will you do this for me? Will you do this for one of your relatives? Malon, you're related. Will you do this? Will you provide? That's what she's asking. And we're going to find out that Boaz is going to say, sure. Now, there's something else in the text I wanna show you because I think it shows so much about Ruth. Now, a lot of times people say, how do we know Ruth really converted to worshiping the God of Israel? How do we know she really didn't just go with Naomi because there wasn't a famine there anymore? How do we know Ruth was now a God-fearing you know, person who has, who has now given their life to the God of Israel? I think we find it in Ruth. Chapter 3, verse 9. After he startles, after she startles Boaz, he says, This, spread your cloak over me, for you are my family redeemer. You're a guy who can do Deuteronomy 25 for me. Spread your cloak out. Now, that word cloak is really important. If you've got your Bibles open, you'll notice there's a little footnote there, and it's not actually the word cloak, it means something different. It's the same word we find in Ruth chapter two, verse 12. I'll put it up on the screen for you. May the Lord reward you. This is Boaz talking to Ruth. May the Lord reward you for what you have done. And may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Same word. She says, will you spread your wings over me? I'm not really sure why the translators won't just do that. Maybe because it reads awkward. That's what he's saying. Will you spread your wings over me? You say, how in the world does this show that Ruth is a convert? Because now she is using language from Israel. I'm going to show it to you. Let me just read through. They're going to be on the screen for you. Psalm 17, verse 8. Look at these. She says, or the the psalmist says, protect me as the pupil of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. That's what the psalmist says. And then it says, from the wicked who treat me violently, my deadly, sins uh, my deadly enemies who surround me. He's saying, there is protection under the wings of God. Let me read another one to you. Psalm 36, 7. The psalmist says, God, your faithful love is so valuable that people take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They are filled from the abundance of your house. Not only do God's wings provide protection, they also provide provision. There is something there. She's using this wing language. Let me give you another one. Psalm 57.1. Be gracious to me, O God. Be gracious to me, for I take refuge in you. I will seek refuge in the shadow of your wings until danger passes. Last Psalm, and I could give you a ton more. Psalm says this, he will cover you with his feathers. You will take refuge under his wings. His faithfulness will be a protective shield. The psalmists say it over and over and over again. Ezekiel mentions this. Matter of fact, God says this of himself in Exodus chapter 19, after he delivers the people from the, from Egypt and the plagues and the Red Sea, he calls himself this, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to me. When she's in that threshing floor in the middle of the night and she says, will you spring your, spread your wings? She's not asking for companionship. She is saying, will you provide for me? Will you protect me? Will you provide rest and asylum will you be a refuge for me? And she's gotta have that because as a orphan, widow, resident alien who is poor, she is the vulnerable of the most vulnerable and she has gotta have someone to help. So now we gotta figure out what in the world is Boaz gonna do? Let's read chapter four.
2: Boaz went to the gate of the town and sat down there. Soon the family redeemer Boaz had spoken about came by. Boaz called him by name and said,
3: Come over here and
2: sit down. So he went over and sat down. Then Boaz took ten men of the town's elders and asked them to sit down. He said to the family redeemer,
3: Naomi, who has returned from the land of Moab, is selling a piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should inform you. Buy it back in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you want to redeem it, do so. But if you do not want to redeem it, tell me so that I will know, because there isn't anyone other than you to redeem it, and I am next after you. He said, I want to redeem it. On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you will also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the deceased man, to perpetuate the man's name on his property.
2: The Redeemer replied, I can't redeem it myself, or I will ruin my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption, because I can't redeem it. At an earlier period in Israel, a man removed his sandal and gave it to the other party in order to make any matter legally binding concerning the right of redemption or the exchange of property. This was the method of legally binding a transaction in Israel. So the Redeemer removed his sandal and said to Boaz, Buy back the property yourself. Boaz said to the elders and all the people,
3: you are witnesses today that I am buying from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech, Chilion, and Malon. I also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife, to perpetuate the deceased man's name on his property so that his name will not disappear from among his relatives or from the gate of his home. You are witnesses today.
2: The elders and all the people who were at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is entering your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built the house of Israel. May you be powerful in Ephrathath and famous in Bethlehem. May your house become like the house of Perez, the son Tamar bore to Judah, because the offspring of the Lord will give to you by this young woman. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he was intimate with her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. Then the women said to Naomi, "'Praise the Lord who has not left you "'without a family redeemer today. "'May his name become well-known in Israel. "'He will renew your life "'and sustain you in your old age. "'Indeed, your daughter-in-law, "'who loves you and is better than seven sons, "'has given birth to him. "'Naomi took the child and placed him on her lap "'and took care of him. "'The neighbor women said, "'A son has been born to Naomi, "'and they named him Obed. "'He was the father of Jesse,' and the grandfather of David. This is the genealogical record of their ancestor Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David.
0: Y'all give it up for our readers. Uh, read a um, genealogy up here in front of everybody, right? She did great. So uh, so Boaz is going to bite, but in, uh, in order to do it, he's got to do the right thing. And so to do the right thing, he says, hey, we've got to make this public. We've got to get this out of here. And also, there's someone who is... Uh, a nearer relative. Now, I told you in that Deuteronomy 25 passage about brothers living together, apparently Boaz recognized. He says, yes, I'm a a relative. I, I can do this for you, but I'm not the closest relative. Maybe he was a second cousin, and there's another guy who's a first cousin. Whatever it is, Boaz says, I need to do this the right way. So go home, And he's going to take care of business. I see four things that he does that I I find um, just shows us not only the resilience of Ruth, but now the resilience of Boaz. The first one is this. He does it publicly. He, he doesn't sit back and and do this in the middle of the night. He doesn't do this at the um, in the, the threshing floor. While while this could be misconstrued a hundred different ways, he protects her. He protects her reputation. And then the first thing he does is he goes to the gate where the, the the town council would meet, where all the elders would meet, and he says, "I need ten of you. I need ten of you right now to watch this. This is going to be public. I am going to do this." this way. It's going to be public. The second thing he does is not only public, but he does it legally. Did you hear the word legal over and over again? Now, it's solidified legally for them with the whole idea of taking off a sandal and swapping it. Like, that's weird to us, right? If I kept on reading in Deuteronomy 25, those passages, it actually says that's how you, that's how you solidify the deal. You swap sandals. Now, actually, in this case, The first guy who says, I don't want to do this, you're actually supposed to spit in his face as an act of shame. You can go back and read Deuteronomy 25, crazy passage. So for us, you get a legal document, you initial on every page and then you make sure it's dated and then you sign it and then I'm sure there's a notary or witnesses for them. You just swap a sandal and if it's a shameful act, you get spit in the face and that's how we move on, right? Kind of glad for the, the ink and pen here nowadays. But he's gonna do it legally. This is a legal deal. It's binding. They have swapped the sandals. The narrator in the passage makes it clear it's legal. The third thing is it's sacrificial. Think about the sacrificial part of this. The first guy who is a near redeemer, he might be, I don't know, I don't know exactly how he's a closer relative to a but he is. He says, I'm in for the land. He's also probably in for Naomi because the land is under Naomi. Naomi's the one selling it. But this guy knows, hey, I can get the land. And we learned in chapter one, Naomi is past child-rearing days. So he says, I can take Naomi. I can take the land and no harm to me. No issue for me. I don't have to raise up a son. I don't have to do anything here. This is gonna cost me nothing until Boaz says, whoa, 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 it's not just Naomi. It's Ruth. And Ruth is in the middle of her childbearing years. And at that point he says, ah, I'm out. Because he doesn't mind giving Ruth the first son. It's the second son that messes everything up for him. You see, the second son would be, now my inheritance has got to be divvied up from Milan's kids and grandkids. Like, it's all got to be divvied up that way. And he says, no, 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 no. I was good with Naomi when I didn't have to worry about children. But if I got to worry about children with Ruth, I'm out. And Boaz says, I'm in. I'm willing to take that risk. I'm willing to make that sacrifice to provide a child for Elimelech and Malon's name to continue. And if we have more children, my inheritance can be divvied up as well. I'm good. Fourth thing, he's willing. Very first words of chapter four say he went to the gate. He's not sitting back passively waiting for it to happen to him. He's not waiting for someone to tell him to take responsibility. He does it on his own. He's willing. So it's public, it's legal, it's sacrificial, and he's willing to do it. Now, when I think about this and I think about the sacrifice and the the role and the responsibility that Ruth is asking Boaz to play—like I can say all this stuff, but for me, it it really became pretty evident about um, 20 years ago. I was uh, I was born and raised in Houston. Uh, I was a city slicker. Um, my my family lived in East Texas, out in the Piney Woods, and they would hunt and fish and and do all that. I wanted to be in East Texas, and they wanted to go to Astroworld and big malls and go to Astros games, right? We wanted to swap. It never worked that way. And so when it was time for me to go to college, I went to a small Baptist school in, in West Texas, out in the middle of nowhere, six hours northwest. And and I get there, and I'm interning at a church, and I meet a deacon there. His name is Ken Hogan, and he's a, he's a hay farmer. And as a hay farmer, I I uh, got a chance to hop on a truck and haul hay with him. I didn't know what I was doing. He taught me all of it. He just was looking for a hand and I jumped in and did it. And before long, I graduated and started going to seminary and and I just continued to work with him and and he put me on a tractor, believe it or not. That was crazy, right? And and so I'm the city slicker on a tractor and I'm driving a tractor and I'm cutting hay and I'd go from field to field and and I would do those kind of things and, and I was living my best life at the time, right? And so I get in a tractor one morning early, and, and I'm, I'm just going to start cutting hay. I'm, I, you know, it's a cab. It's got the air conditioner. It's got the, the radio. I, I'm living it up in there, and there's a swather behind me. I'm pulling this swather, and it, what it does is it cuts the hay, and it lays it in a nice pile right in the middle called a windrow. And so I'm going at it. I'm making it happen. It's going to be a long day. It's a 100-acre field, and it's going to be there from sunup to sundown, and I'll do it again the next day. And all of a sudden, I don't know, around, around two or three as I'm going around it, the tractor starts to do some things crazy. I can see the RPMs start to go down a little bit. The air conditioner stops blowing quite as hard, which makes me really nervous. The radio's not sounding the same. Things are bogging down. I'm I'm no tractor specialist, but I can tell at that time something's wrong. I'm like, do I call Ken? I'm embarrassed. I don't wanna blow up the tractor, but maybe I should shut it down. I'm kind of in the throes of it all, a little panicked. I'm looking at the swather. It seems to be doing fine, and then boom, all of a sudden, everything goes back to normal. Everything goes back to normal. The the RPMs go right back up. The air starts blowing again. The radio starts blaring like it was. I look back, sure enough, swather's cutting, nice little windrow, but as I look back, I notice something. And when I look back, I see right next to the windrow, that pile of hay, I see a, another pile of blood, guts, feathers, and bones. At that point, I realized I just sucked a turkey through the swather. <laughs> Boom. I mean, sucked it through a big old Rio Grande. I mean, it's right there, Right? I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm checking it, man. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Now I'm a city slicker. I'm not really sure what to do. So in my brain, I'm like, what in the world happened? What happened? Maybe, maybe I'm like, I'm trying to figure out how do I justify the situation I am now in, right? I'm like, maybe the maybe the turkey couldn't see very well. Maybe he couldn't hear very well. Maybe it was already injured. That was it. It was already injured. It was already dead. I just, Finished it off, if you will, right? (laughs) So I'm going around the field in my mind. I'm working all of these scenarios and I can see it. You know, you're going in the tractor and puddling along and you straddle a windrow you just cut. So I can see here's this pile of turkey coming closer to me. And as any man would do, like I grab the steering wheel, lean over to look in and I see not only blood and gut and feathers, I see a nest of eggs. Yeah, that's what I said, right? That turkey wasn't dead. Turkey wasn't, it it was doing what turkeys do. They provide, they protect, they give rest, and they give refuge, right? That's what mama turkey's gonna do. And like for me, when I sat back and I think, man, when God is saying, I want to provide refuge under my wings. I will never see those passages the same again. Just never see them the same again. Now, here's what's crazy about it. Are you ready for this? Jesus says this in Matthew 23. Listen to these words. He said, the last days of his life. Last days of his life. People are fixing to murder him. They hate his guts. Listen to what Jesus says. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, she who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, yet you were not willing. Jesus said, that's what I wanna do for you. And you're not listening. You won't come. You don't want it. If that's what i'm doing and just a few days later jesus would do those same four things that boaz did he would publicly go to the cross He would publicly be jeered. He would publicly, they would publicly cry out, crucify him. They would publicly say, we want Barabbas instead of Jesus. They would publicly watch him be beaten. They would publicly watch him probably hang nude. They publicly saw it. Publicly saw it. It was public. It was illegal. Colossians 2.14 makes it clear it was legal. Because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the debt has been canceled, Paul says in Colossians. There was a debt, a payment, and it's been canceled. It is illegal. You can't tell me it wasn't sacrificial. It was sacrificial in the fact that he left heaven to come to earth. He took on the form of a man. He was mocked, beaten, spit upon, and crucified. It was sacrifice. And finally, he was willing. He just said he's willing. It's an obedient death? It was for the joy that was set before him. And some of his final words on the cross was forgive him. Forgive him. Willing. Man, I, I think Boaz is cool. But Jesus is a better Boaz. He is our redeemer. He is that for us. And his arms are outstretched. God's wings are there for us to come under. And so for us today, I just would say, man, are you willing to do that? I don't know what you bring to the table. I I don't know what what you're struggling with. I don't know what you're feeling. But I just would say, man, his wings are big and great. Great and they provide, and they protect, and they give rest. So here in a minute, we're gonna sing. We're gonna sing a song like Jesus paid it all. How appropriate, right? And we're gonna sing about the refuge of God always being there. And you're gonna have a chance to take the elements, Lord's Supper, where this this bread represents the body that was broken for you. And this, this juice represents the blood that was shed for you. Because of whoever you are and whatever you bring in here, Jesus is saying, the arms are here. Would you come under? Let me pray for us. Oh, Father, um, I thank you for that experience. I don't know, 20 years ago or so. That Just, i never forget it. I'm just so... So thankful for just a very vivid picture of who you are and what you've accomplished. I thank you for this beautiful story in in Ruth where Boaz is willing to to stretch out his arms and take in a, a vulnerable person to love her and to care for her and to provide. And she ends up being in the genealogy of Jesus. How cool is that? So Lord, I pray that as we sing these next few songs about just how good you are, that we would mean them, that we would worship, that we would, if we need to just sit and soak in it, we would, if we need to sing at the top of our lungs, we would, if we need to take our time taking communion just to remember just the sacrifice that was given for us, we'd do it. Lord, thank you for sending your son who is a willing savior. And we want to run to him. It's in his name we pray.